0: Ellie, what exactly is a bogo pogo?
1: There's no such thing as a bogo pogo. Okay. It's actually a botafogo. Oh. And I know this because I am a long-term, strictly-come-dancing fan uh, and the butterfogo is a step that is used in the samba a lot. It's a sort of a, a crossing side to side step. It's quite complicated footwork, so you can understand why all the young dancers will be wanting to get the expertise on the orthodox way to complete this step, which is quite impressive if you get its name right.
0: Okay, well, there we go.
2: Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And John, you've got a guest.
0: I do. I have my good friend Ellie Chalkley, who is one of the people I work with on my other passion, which is the Eurovision Song Contest. We're both contributors to a website called ESCinsight.com. And Ellie, you also work on a couple of other podcasts.
1: Yes, I've got my music recommendations website, ListenOutside.com, which is going on the radio soon. And I'm also the host of the Keep Dancing podcast, which is an unofficial Strictly Come Dancing podcast. And so I guess it won't come as any surprise, the film that I've brought today.
0: Well, break the suspense, let us know.
1: It's Baz Luhrmann's Strictly Ballroom.
0: Fabulous. I am so happy that you chose this film. (laughs) Tell us why you chose this film, though.
1: It is full of bright colours and frocks and movement and generally entertaining images. Also, it's a classic story of, you know, triumph against adversity, but mainly the bright colours
0: and the flashing <laughs> images. <laughs> this film is such a visual treat for me. I'd forgotten watching it back just how visually hilarious and wonderful it is.
1: So, Romeo and Juliet is the most sort of aesthetically pleasing of Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy. Mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge! Over totally. But I think that Strictly Ballroom is the most Baz.
0: Yes, mm. well, I feel like Baz Lehmann works best on a low budget. I think that's why, because when you've got a big budget like Moulin Rouge or Australia or stuff stuff he's done recently, it's it's too he goes too, he goes crazy, he goes nuts, and he just flings money at things and everything for it against the wall. It just it becomes too garish. But this is his kind of anything sticks, anything goes. as fast it really works for like a low budget film because it gives it this kind of real like low rent charm, and it's so campy and funny.
1: He captures the glamour of competitive ballroom dancing, <laughs> but he also captures the sort of sweat and hair and unpleasantness and just grossness of ballroom dancing as an athletic sport.
0: I wrote down that this film should have been called Pastels and Peroxide. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, At least then uh, Strictly Come Dancing wouldn't have such a stupid name. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's
0: true.
2: Harold, <laughs> did you think of the, the visuals of this film? I thought they were they were crazy. I felt like I was on drugs for a lot a lot of it. Um, <laughs> as I feel you're supposed to with a Baz Luhrmann film. They're always mm-hmm. a little bit out there. I felt a lot of similarities to Muriel's Wedding. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Which I imagine you
0: did too. Oh, which, totally. Well, it's yeah. a very Australian... I think there's a very Australian sensibility and Australian sense of humour. Mm. And obviously you've got built the, the the great character out of Bill Hunter, in both mm-hmm. the guy who plays Bill, Bill the Battle Heslop in Muriel's Wedding, and he plays Barry, the king of the dance floor in this one. Mm-hmm. So I love how everyone in this film generally but him specifically is mahogany in this film like <laughs> they're not just tan they are mahogany mm. like they look like they've been varnished yeah. it's amazing
1: and it's all it's all brushed on as well it's it's not even in so this is long ago enough that this is a period piece and they are actually putting oil on and going on sunbeds and actually putting fake tan liquid on themselves <laughs> to achieve that colour. It's not, you know, the modern day, quite sort of subtle airbrush <laughs> orange tan. It's the full sticky, mm. like, Strictly Barnum is a very sticky mm. film. Like, you really get just a sense of how gross everything is. <laughs> Is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the
0: other thing I really loved, is that they're all so invested in it. Everyone involved in the film is so invested. In it. it feels really high stakes for them. But then a lot of the shots where you see that actually it's all taking place like backstage at this what looks like a really cheap kind of coin slot alley yeah, in the yeah. casino.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that and the low budget adds to the real camp of it all. Mm. Because it's really high stakes, high drama, high emotion. But it's all done... Like some of the sequences are quite crap. Oh yeah, and you know, everything looks really cheap. And the dance school is, you know, one room above a takeaway. Mm. It's it's everything to these people, but it is also so small. And the difference between the operatic scale of the emotion and the sort of very provincial, parochial reality of it is, it's it's massive.
0: I love how the mum never even tries for a casual look. Like at anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even when she's like at the beginning of the film opens with this kind of documentary thing where she's talking She's just sat on a couch talking to the camera and she's literally just sat in her living room in a full ball gown. Mm. And again just full like orange makeup with the that hideous blue eyeshadow. It's
1: Is that not what everybody does <laughs> for casual wear?
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Ellie is actually sat next to us right now in 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 a full taffeta gown. It's... Quite the look.
1: I didn't wear my gold lame suit. I thought that it was maybe a more casual occasion than that. Okay. Fair
2: enough. Well, there was no doubt in anyone's
1: mind that Scott and Liz would be the next Pan Pacific Grand Prix Amateur Five Dance Latin American champions.
2: I mean, they'd worked towards it all their lives. I keep asking myself why. (laughs) Did I do something wrong?
0: (laughs) Did I fail him as a mother? (laughs) Did you also get the sense that Barry, the, the Bill Hunter character, was being presented as if he was actually Satan? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now you say it. Because he was always shot in, like, against, like, a deep red glow. There was mm. over a red backdrop, or there was, like, a red. The lighting was very red. And obviously, his face was very red as well. And there was lots of. I mean, there was a lot of red in a whole movie. Generally, yeah, but it seemed to him he definitely had, like, a. a for me, like an antichrist vibe, and
1: he was always sort of uplit, yes, and very much sort of filmed from below. Mm. I don't think he's the actual devil, although he does <laughs> offer, oh, he does offer temptation. Mm-hmm. But surely the devil has better things to do than like try to crush the creativity of one small-time Australian ballroom dancer.
0: Well, you say that, but you know the devil makes the devil has a lot of. Yeah, you know, Irons Devil the fire. wears many faces. He does wear many faces. He's got faces all well. the best tunes. He does, yeah, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Several of them in the, appear in this film. So. Lovers in the air." I delight to hear that. At the time end. after time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what
2: what did you think of the uh, the product placement in this, specifically Coca Cola? Oh yes.
1: Well, actually, <laughs> it's kind of it's putting a big lampshade on the product placement. Having that giant glittery Coca Cola sign. Play just behind the most romantic scene of the entire film. Mm. It goes beyond product placement into, this is just iconic. And it's so advertising that you don't even read it as advertising anymore. It's just the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty, a Coca-Cola sign. It's just an all-purpose signifier of iconicness.
0: And I think that's something Baz Luhrmann does a lot is he almost breaks the fourth wall when it, when it comes to things that a lot of movies kind of kind of have to crowbar in. Like there's the plot twist, well I say plot twist, where the character says, I wish X dancer would break both of her legs. And then yeah. immediately afterwards someone runs and goes, you never guess what's happened. X dancer's broken both of her legs. And mm. then another character basically looks to camera and goes, well that was unexpected. And it's just, <laughs> okay, we needed this to happen to so move the plot along, so let's just acknowledge it and then move forwards.
1: What do I want? I'll tell you what I want. I want 10 railings to walk in here right now and say Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want
2: to dance with you.
1: Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want to dance with you.
2: That was unexpected.
1: Yeah, well, those two kids often play the role of the fourth wall breaking. Mm. I mean, maybe it's because the kids can't act, or maybe (laughs) it's just because that is genuinely funny to have the tiny children dressed as miniature adults be the people who actually understand what's going on and the fact that they're within a construct. Yeah, That's really funny and really clever. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they are the Greek chorus of this film, so it's great. (laughs) I really want to talk about Weeks. Of course. I was
2: watching this just thinking, oh no, we're going to have a long talk here. <laughs> All right, go for what it. What was your favourite wig? Favourite wig was probably, what's his face, the devil. The devil, yeah, okay. Um, just when that comes off at the end. Mm,
0: yeah, well, I like, again, I like that when he, the wig just is flapping in the wind.
2: Got a question. How much did he remind you of Donald Trump? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Upsetting, because I love Bill Hunter. I don't really yeah, know my mind. Yeah, me too. What about you, Ellie? Favorite wig or, or hairpiece in general? Some of them might have been natural. I don't know.
1: Tina Sparkle's grand finale hair arrangement. Oh yeah. Responsible for the hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> which, very irresponsible as a '90s Australian. Yeah, she, she was there with the CFCs.
0: Some of them were really approaching like Marge Simpson levels of like updo, weren't they? It was they just were. <laughs> so tall and so bouffant. Yeah.
1: Well, you've got this to get a competitive advantage in the yeah. dancing you've got to be you know taller than everybody else and uh making your lines look longer so big hair helps well mm. man,
0: that's why she was the champion <laughs> i was endlessly fascinated by les who is the the kind of the friend the friendlier judge who's kind of best friends with the mum who's maybe gay we're not sure but yeah he's the one who says uh who's, who's talking about like the the rules and regulations of street people and how uh, scott's dance moves were not strictly ballroom quote unquote i'm just sick of dancing somebody else's steps all the time don't you get above yourself lad people who passed on those steps know a lot more about dancing than you do the audience didn't think so hold oh, the audience the audience
2: forward on the heel friend what would they know Fashy unusual choreography crowd pleasing sure but where was your floor craft arms clary no energy directed into the floor untidy feet and hands you could have driven a truck between your left over arms clary and your right hand Think that's a win you the Pan Pacific Grand Prix, and what's more, you won't win if you don't have a partner. Go to that little girl and beg forgiveness. Got nothing without her, Scott. Remember, it takes two to tango.
0: Yeah, his wig was so fascinating to me because it looked like it was on backwards.
1: I think it was on backwards. It was actually on that back- Good, yeah. it wasn't.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> it was. So- yeah, it was so weirdly placed, and I. Anytime he was on screen, I could not stop looking at it. It was amazing. It's
1: sort of a mid-noughties Wogan going on. It was a reverse Wogan. He was yeah.
0: reverse Woganing. Yeah. <laughs> what a turn. Yeah. So also, this film fulfills a classic cinema trope, which is the Ugly Duckling makeover, where Tina goes from you know the dowdy, you know. Fran. Fran. Sorry, Fran. Where did I get Tina from? Tina is Tina. Tina Sparkle. Sparkle so, okay, yeah. so <laughs> Fran has the make goes begins this movie as a dowdy, you know outside her i thought she was going to be a comedy character throughout mm-hmm.
2: it was just like she's you know she's ha- happy and she's trying hard she doesn't realize that actually you know she's really not good and she, she, everybody's treating her really badly yeah i didn't think that she was going to be a main character at all
0: yeah she kind of sneaks in at the beginning mm. it's not really about her at all and she no. kind of just creeps into the narrative but i love her makeover because it's so like lack- classic and so lacking in subtlety yeah like <laughs> the first half of the film she is dressed like she's recovering from an operation yeah Yeah. (laughs) She's wearing just, like, this long, like, nightgown kind of thing. And, like, her hair is just a split-end mess. And she's wearing these awful glasses. And then suddenly, like, it all comes off and she is beautiful. But I I remember watching and being really struck... Actually, genuinely struck. Like, my God, she is stunning. She is so beautiful. And then I realised towards the end, I was like, she is a very good-looking woman. But it was because she's the only character who's not caked in makeup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or if she is, it's much more subtle. Like, even... Like, Scott is wearing more more makeup than she is. Like, Scott is wearing a full, like, drag queen makeup in many parts of this film.
1: He's got a very early version of 3D brows as well. Yes. Oh, the eyebrows again in this film. A lot of the
0: eyebrows really, along with the wicks, like, just... Again, I think Barry's eyebrows are kind of, like, pointing to the sky.
1: (laughs) Everybody who was involved in the sort of technical and craft aspects of this film... Should this should be top of their CV. Everybody mm. absolutely knocked it out of the park on presumably no money at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a treat. Like, the sleeves and the costumes and the look. It, it has such a great aesthetic. And I think Baz Luhrmann films do. If there's one thing you can say about Baz Luhrmann, his films have a, always have a great aesthetic. They always look... They're just always a treat visually, and this is definitely mm. in line with that. So, yeah, I absolutely love this film. Yeah. It's such a re- good fun.
1: It's a real comfort watch. Yeah. I can always turn to it, mm-hmm. you know... It's just endlessly entertaining.
0: So should we move on to some sequels then? Go for it. Okay, so I'll begin this week. So for me, because this film was so wiggy, this is such a wiggy, wiggy film, that I felt like I had to make that the focus of my sequel. So my sequel is inspired by an episode of The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror, Uh in which, um, you might remember, (laughs) in which Snake, the character of Snake, is killed and Homer ends up getting a hair transplant with Snake's hair and (laughs) goes on a killing spree. So my sequel is half based on that, and it is half based on a movie that this film reminded me a lot of, which is Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a film about a, the beauty pageants. Very similar in the sense it's about the beauty pageant circuit in America, and it's kind of low stakes, but also the people involved it's such a big, it's so high stakes for them. And so yeah, it reminded me of that. So I thought, what if these two things came together? So my sequel is called Strictly Ballroom, Hell to Pay.
1: Oh... My
0: God. <laughs> okay, is, okay. Um, I'm sold. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> right, okay. So, And also, because we, we do try with our sequels to bring things to the present day. So I was like, so how would you make this film in 20- if you're going to make this film in 2017 and bring the cast together, how would that work? So unfortunately, Bill Hunter, the late great, did pass away a few years ago, so I couldn't reuse him. But I felt like he was so integral to the film and such a great character that I really wanted him to be part of my sequel. So my sequel opens at his funeral, the funeral of Barry Fife, president of the um, Australian Dance Federation. And he's a ballroom legend, of course, so the entire cast is back together to kind of pay their respects to, you know, this man. And as Perry's final wishes, Barry is cremated. And so the mourners are all sitting in, you know, the funeral parlour, the church, whatever. And they do notice an unusual smell of sulphur as his coffin goes into the flames and kind of permeates the room. Uh, so anyway, subsequently they go to the wake in his honour, and it's announced that in honour of his memory... There's going to be a one-off special Pan Pacific All Stars dance competition, in which uh, all the pre- previous winning couples are going to compete for the title of Australia's ultimate ballroom champion.
1: Okay, I mean nobody's mm. had any time to train for this.
0: No, it's not going to happen right there. It's <laughs> oh, not happening right, okay, out in the okay. wake, but it's, he's announcing I mean, that this that is. I that
1: would also be totally inappropriate.
0: Well, yeah, but it was his final wishes. They wanted to honour him. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so one of these former champions is Wayne of the Boco Pogo fame. Scotty, we're
2: going to do that Boco Pogo, Pogo? You ready? What? You're going to help me and Vanessa with the
0: Boco Pogo? He's now married to Scott's ex partner Liz, who was the very intense blonde lady who really, really wanted to win. And Liz, even 25 years later, Liz has lost none of her ambition. She's kind of in that place in this movie where Scott's mother was in the original movie. Scott's mother, again, unfortunately, the actress died, so I can't bring her back. Very sad. So Liz is taking that role of the very intense, kind of frustrated middle-aged woman. So she's really hungry for this All Stars trophy. Unfortunately, in the intervening years since the original film, Wayne has been struck by the curse of male pattern baldness, which is, you know, obviously it's death to a ballroom champion. You can't win ballroom without good hair. So she tells Wayne that you know if we're going to do this, you need to get yourself a hairpiece. It's just otherwise we're going to have no chance. So, but it can't just be any hairpiece. You know, this needs to be the most lustrous and glamorous hairpiece that is just going to be infused with the spirit of ballroom. So while they're rehearsing at the old dance studio, Liz comes across a box of Bill's remaining possessions, <laughs> including his dance trophies, an inverted pentacle and necklace, and a box of tannis root, and um, his old hair, his old toupee. Okay. Mm, it's just, just sitting in a box in his old office. Mm-hmm. Okay. So without telling Wayne where it comes from, she kind of Steals the toupee and gives Liz. This is Liz, and gives it to him and suggests he tries it on, and he's immediately amazed by how young and virile it makes him look. It just it suits him like a glove. It also seems to improve his dancing. Strangely enough, uh, he suddenly has the ability to perform the, a bogo pogo acrobatic. It seems to defy the laws of God and man. So his
1: ankles actually pass through one another. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's almost supernatural how good he is. So he finishes practicing. And then he tries to take the toupee off. He finds that he can't. It appears to have mysteriously fused to his head. But he looks good, so he doesn't really care. You know, he's going with it. So however, that night, he does have some mysterious dreams about, uh, you know, flames and ballroom dancing demons, and the phrase "no new steps" is ringing for his subconscious, basically. So yeah, that's Wayne's little plotline. Obviously, Scott and Fran are in this film too. They're also back for the competition. As is Ken Railings, who was the guy with the fabulous peroxide mullet kind of thing going on mm-hmm. he's teamed up with Tina Sparkle so and there's also two younger kids who are the two kids from the original movie they've now grown up and become their own dance couple and so they represent the next generation of dance and mm-hmm. they're played by Liam Hemsworth and Margot Robbie oh, oh wow good one good one. bring some star power into this yeah <laughs> and there's also a middle-aged couple who didn't appear in the original movie called Kel Knight and Kath Day Knight anyone who's familiar with the tv show uh, Kath and Kim might recognize those names And they make everyone very uncomfortable with their highly sexualized dance style that usually ends with them passionately making out. (laughs) So anyway, the couples go into rehearsals. It's very competitive, naturally. The stakes are high. And the initial buzz is that Ken and Tina have got the edge. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, they're legends of the old school and they've still got all the moves and they're the ones to beat. However, a few days before the event is due to take place, um, some mysterious incidents begin to occur. First of all, Kath and Kel are forced to withdraw after... Catholic, accidentally applies a fake tan laced with hydrofluoric acid <gasps> that leaves her in hospital with fair degree burns
1: you would be hydrofluoric acid kill you
0: yeah well the only, her life was only <laughs> saved the only reason she was saved is that she because her signature look is an asymmetrical shoulder top that only required her to fake tan one arm so she loses the arm but she didn't bother to fake tan the other arm or anywhere else so she was okay so you
1: know hydrofluoric was... acid is the, the nastiest stuff <laughs> yeah is that that's... the one
0: they use in Breaking Bad
1: it's the one that dissolves bones. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you if you get it on you, you've got you know about a minute to apply the antidote, which is basically an aqueous solution of uh, calcium carbonate, mm-hmm. uh, which will sort of sacrificially be consumed by the hydrofluoric acid instead of your bones. <laughs> Don't mess with hydrofluoric acid. Okay, so Calf's dead.
0: Uh, (laughs) Slightly right there. Calf has died and can no longer compete, so they will draw. Next, Ken is found hanging from the roof of the rehearsal studios uh, via a noose made from a pair of diamond encrusted flares. Well, Tina is found violently choked to death with a ruffled sleeve forced on her throat. Oh God! Uh, yeah. So this is look, this is looked on as a murder suicide because um, Ken obviously was a heavy drinker in the original film. So that's the. But nevertheless, people are quite suspicious, but they just write it off as. You know. This
1: is a very different genre to the original. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, I, you
2: couldn't listen to John's ideas before. <laughs> they, they all go this way. Everybody gets murdered.
0: I often it's... take their things into dark directions, but not, okay. there's a light at the end of the tunnel. He's hmm. murdered pets in in, in episodes before. It's been awful. It's always been thematically on brand for me. Yeah been. yeah, it has it has. Anyway, Fran and Scott also narrowly avoid a uh, tragic incident when a glitter ball falls from the ceiling during rehearsals, uh, almost crushing Fran to death, who only survives after performing a perfectly executed swinging dance slide through Scott's legs to safety. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, all of these incidents do raise some suspicion, but uh, it's declared that the show must go on, you know, and um, the night of the big event arrives with the three surviving couples, Ready in fierce competition. So we have Wayne and Liz, we have Fran and Scott, and we have the young couple played by Margot Robbie and Liam Mansworth. So backstage, Fran has become very suspicious of Wayne's unusual behaviour throughout this whole period. Mm-hmm. Not only has he never seen without this new ludicrous week on, he's also turned a very deep shade of red, and he's insisted that him and Liz only dance under the dance number 666. Yeah, bit of a tell. Mm-hmm. And also, their show dance is going to be a Viennese waltz to the theme tune from The Omen. Which is a bit of (laughs) a (laughs) giveaway. Sure,
2: okay.
0: Because Fran comes, it's,
1: with... it's more of a paso than a <laughs> not, it's not, it's not, it's
0: not. <laughs> That's why we brought you on here. So, because Fran comes from a traditional Spanish family, she also recognises that Wayne is showing all the signs of, of demonic possession. However, Scott, as usual, is too wrapped up in his dancing to really, you know, listen to her complaints. So she's forced to be resourceful in her efforts to save the day. So anyway, we get to the final competitive group dance, and she convinces Scott to work in some of his famous high kicks and a little, it's a little tricky now he's in his mid 50s but nevertheless he's still flexible. The event comes around and the surviving couples perform their routines. Wayne and Liz are, score, are dancing with incredible position, the scoring 10s across the board despite their unconventional song choices which also include a tango to Cradle of Filth's at Deviants Palace. chat 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 about le manson's cake and sodomy
1: white trash get down on your knees top for cake and sodomy white trash get down on your knees could just about <laughs> just about I would hate to see what a Strictly Live band would do to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a cradle of filth. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they, they would give it their all, Yeah. and it would miss by miles. I hope
0: it'd be that one like session vocalist is always singing them as well. I can imagine her doing that. Mm. So anyway, during the group dance, Wayne and Liz take an immediate lead. They're spinning and kicking and twirling with such unholy intensity that Liz's feet are actually sending sparks flying across the dance floor. Ooh. Yeah. One of these, unfortunately, hits Margot Robbie's taffeta sleeve, mm-hmm. which immediately goes up like an oil-soaked rag, and uh, forcing the young couple to out of the race and into intensive care, and leaving an, a tense standoff between Wayne and Gosh. Liz and Scott and Fran.
2: You love burnt people, don't
0: you? <laughs> this is, it's all about Satanism. There's a lot of fire. It's, you know... <laughs> Just as it looks like the Satanist have it, Scott performs a magnificent spinning pirouette, in which it's revealed that Fran has sewn miniature crucifixes into the soles of his shoes, so, uh, Which fly into Wayne's face, causing him to recoil in the middle of his signature Bogo Pogo, uh, crashing to the floor. And then Franz seizes the moment by pulling a bottle of holy water out of her updo and hurls the contents into Wayne's face without missing a step. So you can just imagine that. You know, this is a very intense dance. scene. Mm-hmm. Wayne gives out a hellish scream and Barry's satanic toupee literally jumps off his head <laughs> and explodes into flames, leaving only a small pile of dust behind. And uh, so Scott and Fran are declared the Strictly Ballroom all-stars. They live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And then the credits roll. Although we do have a post credit scene in which uh, we, we're in England, backstage at a familiar-looking TV show, with a strangely familiar-looking, bald-headed man sitting in hair and makeup. And a, an assistant approaches him and says, Excuse me, sir, your delivery has arrived from Australia. The man opens a package containing a jet-black wig. He puts it on, turns to mirror with a sinister red glow in his eyes, it's Craig Revel Horwood.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And that's the boom. Movie ends.
1: It's setting up for a further sequel.
0: Yeah, right? well you've got to have that last jump scare in a horror movie, which man has obviously gone into the realms of horror, so. Yeah,
1: Craig Revel Horwood's face jump scare. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's a uh, striped ballroom, hell to pay.
1: I don't know that I would watch. Well, no, no, I mean, it sounds <laughs> It sounds about as watchable as I don't know have you seen the sort of the mid 70s adaptation of Dagon?
0: No, what's Dagon?
1: It's a it's an HP Lovecraft story. And okay. um, it sounds like this film is going to sort of take the same sort of thematic turns as that <laughs> one. It's a horror film that starts out with, you know, your normal teens mucking about on a boat and then it goes very dark and there's a big sort of satanic old gods thing at the end okay. so it sounds like the the, the thematic gradient is similar mm-hmm. but with ballroom dancing instead of boats yeah
2: yeah okay. interesting. interesting interesting potentially go for it yeah all right it's your turn now
1: well i mean i've come here with an actual sequel
2: <laughs> that you
1: could probably film and probably get away with so what wait, wait, are you
2: saying
0: that Jones wasn't yeah
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Yeah, to they be hush? honest. Yeah. I'm going
0: to write a whole spec script on that. <laughs> it's a life's work.
1: Well, okay. so Strictly Ballroom became the inspiration for this new wave uh, that went around the world of televised celebrity ballroom dancing shows. Mm-hmm. And all of these reality TV shows take the format of somebody who can dance takes a beginner like Fran, Mm -hmm. and teaches them how to do a dance, Yeah, right, Uh, you know, four votes, and there is a winner at the end. And so what I would like to do for my Strictly sequel, which I might call Strictly, Strictly Ballroom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just for the recursiveness, is let's talk about what happened after that momentous rule-breaking Paso doubly at the end of the original film. Okay. So everybody's on their feet, everybody's clapping, but because of society's internalized misogyny and the way that we don't really appreciate the achievements of women, the only person who's actually getting the applause is Scott. Hmm. And basically after that night, fran just basically goes back to beginners and like there's this one weird thing that she did and she goes away and concentrates on her regular life she ends up becoming a sort of a minor tv chef and we'll come back to fran but what happens to scott is very interesting so now he's made his name for being a maverick who doesn't follow the rules and is creative with his steps when they come round casting for these televised reality TV ballroom dancing shows he's an obvious target to be basically the star of the pro dancer cast for this show and so Ken railings is basically going to be the head judge on dancing with the stars let's call it Mm -hmm. and so Scott does you know Seven, eight, nine series series of this, and at first he finds it sort of thrilling and exciting, but eventually the fact that he's only known for these stunts and Dancing with old ladies and stuff. (laughs) It starts to wear on him. And the pantomime of interacting with the judges, it all really gets him down. So this is where the sequel starts. It's a new series of Dancing with the Stars. And Scott is paired with glamorous, famous
0: TV chef, Fran. Oh, they're reunited. Okay.
1: Nobody really remembers that she did this one dance with him a long time ago. Because, you know, everybody basically ignored how much paso she had to learn in there. So she's coming in. She's really excited about being able to dance with Scott again and maybe, like, rekindle the magic that they had for those few weeks leading up to the Pan-Pacific Grand Prix. But Scott, he's over it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to dance theatrical cartoon steps anymore. He wants to get back to the purity of dance. He wants to dance the original steps and, you know, that does no good at all Mm -hmm. on Dancing with the Stars. You know, you've got, like, Scott Hastings hates the Charleston. Mm -hmm. He basically does not want to do the Charleston, but, you know, it's part of the programme. And so, you know, for 10 series, he suffered through it.
0: Is he basically a a version of, I can't remember the guy's name, the one who always gets like Ann Widdicombe and he gets all the comedy ones every year. What's his name?
1: Uh, well I'm basically putting Scott halfway between Anton DuBert and, DeBest, and Brendan yeah so Brendan is the stroppy Maverick one mm-hmm. and Anton is the one who like is basically treated as a clown yes yeah. so Scott Hastings is sort of firmly in there nobody yeah. really takes him seriously he's kind of too old to be a sex symbol and he gets loaded with buffers who only want to lark about and do stuff with props mm-hmm. and you know 10 years of this. He's got Fran to dance with. She's excited. She wants to be on the TV. She's looking forward to it. And he's just like, you know, I can already tell you what your story is going to be. You're going to make it to week five, and then they're going to kill you.
0: Yeah, kill, they're killing people on Dancing with the Stars now. <laughs> No, you know, they're going <laughs> to yeah, they're going to get you off. They're
1: yeah. going to do you a routine where your costume is mismatched, and you get like a really off-putting backdrop, or they make you do a tango to a Rolling Stones song, mm-hmm. which is a thing that they did twice last year mm-hmm. in the UK series <laughs> to get rid of people <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> tangos do not work to Rolling Stone songs just because it's 4-4 doesn't work <laughs> so the film follows Fran and Scott through this series of Dancing with the Stars and the big dramatic moment is where they're called upon to do a really jokey ridiculous Charleston with all manner of bum slapping somersaults and things and Fran is like well you know I mean we'll just we'll just get through this because we've got we've got something really cool next week we've got an American Smooth and we get to you know bust out some classy moves and things and you know the old spark between them is beginning to rekindle even though they're both married to other people now.
0: Strictly, it is a marriage killer. It yeah, is a strictly,
1: marriage killer. Mar- absolute marriage killer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're spending all this time together in close physical proximity, and they're going through this really emotional experience of rediscovering the purity of dance. Mm-hmm. And so Fran has got all the way through to Halloween, week eight or something like that, and then it comes to the Charleston, and they just say, no, mm. we're not going to do the Charleston. But they keep it a secret. Okay. They don't tell anybody that what they're going to do is they're gonna get somebody to sabotage the band, cut the music for their horrible Charleston, and they're going to do their unaccompanied Thank clapping you. Paso Doble again.
0: Oh, I like it. That.
1: Um, and that's kind of the, the big sort of emotional climax of the film where it's basically reversing the themes of the original movie about, you know, the hind hideboundness and conservatism of dance sport as an organization versus the creativity of, you know, young people who want to push it further. Mm-hmm. It's sort of reversing that, talking about the sort of crassness of reality TV mm-hmm. versus the organization and purity of dance sport as a set of rules. Okay. And I don't know what the two films together would make a grand statement, mm-hmm. other than be careful about adapting TV formats from films, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. But it would be quite good. Yeah. I personally hate the Charleston. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's always really naff when the BBC do it. So to see- Even the- Sophie Ellis Bexter? Sophie Ellis Bexter's was acceptable. I just think it's just so basic. Yeah. I'm done with the Charleston. I would mm-hmm. much rather see something else, anything else. Mm-hmm. Polkers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: But yeah, so you've got this grand climax where they're basically reprising the dance from the first film, but you know, they're older and wiser, and it sort of means much more to them. And this time, Fran gets recognized for her achievements, and they go on to win that series of Strictly or Dancing with the Stars or whatever. Dancing actual ballroom steps
0: in a ballroom style for ballroom people. Oh, that actually sounds. I've got like, got chills. That's genuinely quite emotional. I like that. I like the idea. It comes full circle. Like it, the both films end in essentially the same way, but it's as you say, it's split a little bit where it becomes Fran's moment rather than his. That's yeah, yeah. I think that that, that is exactly what you said it would be. That's a sequel I can absolutely imagine happening. Yeah,
1: yeah. And Definitely you could even do done. it with everybody at the age as they are now as well.
0: True, absolutely, yeah. You are using all the same actors then, yeah? uh, Uh,
1: Yeah, so Scott Hastings is still played by Paul Mercurio, Mm -hmm. who was actually a judge on Australian Dancing with the Stars at one point, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a show that they don't make anymore. And (laughs) Tara Maurice would still be playing Fran. And I think the only other original cast member that I would bring through would be Ken Railings to be a judge. Yeah. And everybody else would be... Recast, I think, and you you won't really have that many people to cast. You can maybe bring back Tina Sparkle to be a co-competitor. She could be the Natalie lowe yeah type <laughs> hyper ambitious figure yeah. in that mm-hmm. in that dance cast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's a viable sequel. Would you I'm...
2: try and get Baz Luhrmann back, or would you give it to Michael Bay or something? I don't <laughs> think I
1: would give it to Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bring in Optimus Prime.
1: <laughs> well, Ben Wheatley's the obvious director for yours, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to have Satanism and killings. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking Roman Polanski, actually. <laughs> Ooh, no, we no, don't... I don't want to employ him. We no. don't
1: want to employ him. No, we'll, no. we'll give Ben Wheatley the job. Okay, if you've seen Kill List, Kill yeah. List is also a very similar film to what you pitched. Okay. Um, I don't know. I would want to go for... Do you know, I would go with whoever... Does the direction for Drag Race?
0: Oh yes, yeah.
1: I would, I would give them a first feature with the Strictly Ballroom sequel because I think Basil Strictly Erman's, Strictly Ballroom Strictly Strictly Ballroom, yeah, because uh, Baz has gone off the boil. He has
0: a little bit, yeah. Okay, I like that a lot. I think that's got real potential. Any questions? Oh no, I'm just a little scared about mine. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs>
1: does it end in murders? <laughs> yeah,
0: you. That's all the Diddy boy has have to clear is that it's not actively upsetting. So <laughs> well does I know, we'll die? <laughs> uh,
2: so mine is called Strictly Disney. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. So we start with our main character, who's called Matt, um, who's just graduated art college somewhere in America. Is this? Oh, this is in America, not Australia. Yes, America. America. And there's no, Why is this a sequel? Is it a spin-off? What is it? It's potentially a spin-off, yeah. So there's no it original sounds caster. like a reboot. Re- reboot. It's, it's a different film inspired by some okay. plot. So he's just graduated art college, and... He's really good at drawing cartoons. So what he's going to do is going try and apply for Warner Brothers, DreamWorks, but Disney is his number one choice. That's that's who he wants to go for. So he's applied for this un, unpaid internship at Disney, mm-hmm. uh, which he instantly gets given because he has really good references from all his professors back at college. Did you say who's playing him? Sorry, uh, I didn't. But uh, I I've been struggling to think of casting for this. Okay. So, well, how old is he? Um, sort of mid twenties, maybe. Okay. So any.
0: Mid-twenties actor. Liam Hemsworth again, since we've using him a lot recently. But...
2: I don't want to use... Yeah, we do.
0: Who else is mid-twenties? Most... People. Young
1: people. I don't know about young people. <laughs> no, me neither.
0: <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Mm. He's
1: not... He's like in his
0: thirties. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm rapidly losing sense of my references for like... Andrew Sorry. Garfield. Okay, okay fine.
2: Yes, There we go. Fine. Sure, I can see that. Yeah. He, he was playing a 17-year-old like three years ago, so... <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> he must be under 35. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so about uh, 16 people are accepted onto this internship, which is a nice cast of colourful characters, which you would meet all of, but I'm not going to cast 16 people right now. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) And he makes very good friends with a certain guy called Seth, um, who, well, they're sharing a room together while they're on this internship. Okay. Have you cast Seth? I've also not cast Seth. Come on.
0: What is Seth? Who is Seth?
1: Is he an antagonist? Mm -hmm. Uh, A sidekick?
0: Sort of a partnership? romantically or just in terms of... Maybe, maybe. I'm not going to go there, but... Okay.
1: <laughs> Can we have Riz Ahmed playing him?
2: No, that doesn't work.
0: No, sorry. Are we talking like a wacky, like, Seth Rogeny kind of sidekick? Okay, let's go Jesse Eisenberg. Okay, okay. Okay. On cool.
2: Yeah, maybe. And so they're getting along really well and they've become best friends. They're constantly sharing ideas. They're both very creative, um, yeah. which we get shown with probably a couple of montages or something. You know, I, I love a montage. You do, yeah. And they actually have an idea in mind which they've collaborated on, okay. um, which I'll get into later. And so one day when they're in the internship, they're doing little bits of practice and stuff drawing for Disney, mm-hmm. um, and the manager of the internship an, um, announces that there's only one place available now due to budget cuts. On the internship? Mm-hmm. Okay. Instead of maybe there were four or something before. Okay. So only one of them can actually get through. So their first thing that Matt and Seth do, they go up to him and say, look, can we do this together somehow? Like, is there any way that, that we can both get it if, if you decide to choose us? And the manager's like, no, I'm sorry, it's, it can only be one person. This is... We can only
0: afford one unpaid intern. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Go on. No, well,
2: there's a job at the end of it or something. Okay, fine, yeah. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little competition, which is going to get rid of most of you, and then uh, we'll have a, a second competition after that. We will decide just one person.
0: Oh, so this is where the Strictly comes in. It's going to be a competitive kind mm-hmm. of... Okay, cool. So
2: for the first one, I want you to pitch an idea to us mm-hmm. for uh, what, what could be Disney's next big film. Um, and then it's the second part, I want you to draw it for us.
0: It seems like the kind of thing they'd leave in the hands of an unpaid intern. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just ideas. Okay, yeah, fine. You never know. Yeah, so that's what, what, what they have to do. They have to do it separately. They can't collaborate in any way. Okay. So, come out with separate ideas.
0: So, it's the opposite of strictly in many ways, because they're not, in part, not pairs anymore. They're just individuals. Right? Yes.
2: Okay. So, what Seth came up with was a film called Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time.
0: That's a real thing, isn't it? It is a real thing. I just want to draw attention to it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it looks terrible. <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I really want to watch it. What if the magic was taken away? What if the slipper
2: didn't fit?
1: I danced with the prince. That was my slipper. Could the
2: dream still come true? bippity
0: boppity, boppity.
2: Matt pitched a remake of a Shakespeare play, Hamlet, but it's made with animals and they all talk. Is that also a thing that actually happened? Yeah, it's The Lion King. Oh, of
0: course it is. Okay, so this feels like, <laughs> set in a strange time between those two films being a thing. Okay. Yeah, let's okay, sure. assume that happened at the same time. Fair enough, sure. A lot of things in my pitch which are
2: factually incorrect. Just, well, just that's, that's, that's new, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey! I don't
1: see what this has to do with Australia or Sweaty Ballroom Dancers.
2: Well... <laughs> We'll get there, maybe. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. So obviously Matt's idea did really well. Um and that's uh, the Hamlet Lion King. That's King. The Lion King okay. Yeah. And so as we all know, that got turned into one of the biggest films ever. And Sass so I did. you know, they didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. Like they still made it, but he it didn't do very well. In fact he came fifth, so he's not gonna get through to the final of this. He's not gonna be able to draw anything for his his idea, and he's definitely getting a drop at the end.
0: Even though he pitched a film that actually got made and released on DVD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I well, think think of all the films that Disney make, that's a lot. i got to get their ideas from somewhere.
1: That most of Disney's late '90s work was based on the uncompensated ideas of unpaid interns, because that's a really serious allegation.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, I am.
0: <laughs> okay. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> 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 we'll get <that> in
2: there. <laughs> so Seth's pretty upset about this, and so that night back in their room. They start having a massive argument about whether Matt should give his place to Seth. Okay. Which Matt thinks is completely unreasonable. Like, what did you do for my idea? That's That, that wouldn't really be fair. And the argument gets worse and worse. And eventually Seth storms out. Mm-hmm. to just go and walk it off. Um, and Matt just goes to sleep. In the middle of the night, Seth sneaks back in with a bottle of something in his hand. It looks like some kind of drug. Okay. And he walks over to Matt's bed. And he like opens his eye and just squeezes a little bit of this liquid in his eye and then this does this, the same on the other eye. Is this entering, like,
0: poisoning territory? Is this uh, yeah, it kind of is. Blinding him. He's blinding him, okay. I think, is that how they killed the guy in Hamlet's? Is um, it Hamlet?
1: It was dripping poison in his ear. It was in ear, his ear, okay,
0: yeah, fine. Ah, oh, well, that's okay. convenient for me. Okay. <laughs> I gone. didn't know that. And then he leaves again,
2: and that's actually the last we see of Seth for the rest of the film. So is Seth the one who... I'm, I'm mixing yeah, the Yeah,
0: Seth, Seth poisoned Matt's eyes. Okay, fine, so Seth's gone, fine. Yeah, Seth's gone. So Matt, the one who created the Lion King, the successful one, is now blind. Mm-hmm. Well, not blind. Okay. So, so I
1: think I can see what's happening. Okay,
0: well, <laughs> if you've I'm glad one if, if, if you worked it out, then don't. Yeah.
2: Um, and so Matt wakes up and, like, he's not blind, but his eyes are really hurting. Okay. But he doesn't, he doesn't really have the time to do anything about it. Like, this final that he's got to draw all these things for, that's happening, like, tomorrow afternoon. He's got loads to do. Okay. So he just sets to with drawing and sketching that's a bit of a montage but we never actually see any of the artwork that he does okay. on camera and so he goes to the final and he it's his turn to present his work and he draws back the curtain and everything that he's done and all the judges gasp yeah and the camera turns and shows us and it is the lion king characters that we know mm-hmm. but all the colors are wrong okay. one of the judges says Wait, are you are you colorblind <laughs> And at this point, like he he realizes what must have happened, and he just starts crying. Just like he realizes, yes, he is colorblind. And and one of the judges says, "Wait, Matt, that's not strictly Disney. Um, I'm gonna have to kick you out. I'm sorry, we're not we're not keeping you." There's my tie into the film. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's the height of it. So he breaks down in tears and leaves. And he, well, he he hits rock bottom. Essentially, he applies for a job at Fox Television.
0: Oh, called the lowest of the low. <laughs>
2: And so he walks in, pitches the only idea that he has left, which is the one that him and Seth both came up with together. Mm-hmm. And they are they instantly ask him to draw some of the characters that, that could be in that film, and so he just pitched this idea to them. And he knows he's gonna get the colours wrong, but he does it anyway. He draws these characters that are gonna become some of the most famous cartoon characters you've ever heard. The executives oh. look at him, just look at it,
0: just say, Matt Groening, well welcome to Fox. Oh. God, the time frame for that was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Simpsons after the Lion King. Uh yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Uh very tangently related to Street Ballroom. but I did my uh, best. You did okay, fair enough. Yeah. We've taken detours before. Yeah. I mean it's a good story, it's interesting. I like mm-hmm. the yeah.
1: All three of these films are viable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Mangroning Biopic. Yeah. <laughs> the Slasher film. Yeah. The Satanic Wig. Wake- Thing. <laughs>
0: the Satanic Week thing. That, that's the name of my new band. I'm just <laughs> going to yeah. The Satanic Week thing.
1: And uh, an actual sequel. Yeah,
0: you, you've definitely elevated us this week, Ellie, with, with a genuinely viable sequel that is true to the original and isn't horrifying.
1: If anybody would actually like to take an option on that, uh, <laughs> you can contact me on Twitter at Ellie underscore made yeah.
0: huh. Fingers crossed. <laughs> If you're out there, Baz. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. So we have had some fan submissions this week. Uh, This was a very popular choice, actually. This seems to be a a very beloved film. So first up, we have Captain Hygiene at CPT underscore Hygiene. He pitched Strictly Ballroom 2 Judgment Day. The Ballroom Confederation sends assassins back to kill young Scott before his unorthodox killing can teach people to rebel.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: Great. Very good. Heavy Metal Horror Cast at HMH Cast. Uh Strictly No Ball Games. Uh, An Aged Scott played by Bruce Forsyth. That's a very aged (laughs) Scott. That's a hard 25 years for Scott. (laughs) (laughs) An Aged Scott retired from dance fights tirelessly to keep kids from his perfectly manicured lawns. I think the joke was in the title there. Dad Zone at Dad Zone Cast. Strictly Ballroom 2 Birth of the Falcon. Mm -hmm. Upon learning that Scott is teaching Ballroom Dance to gringos, Latin master Paso Duble, I'm guessing that's uh, Fran's dad, travels down under to challenge our young hero to a dance-off to the deaf. Scott must learn the ancient and deadly dance of the falcon if he has any chance of survival. Sounds intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blokebusters, at Blokebusters. Scott now owns a dancing studio, which is failing, and he must enter a competition to win the prize money. The twist, the judge, is his old rival. I guess that's Wayne, maybe? Or Ken? Ken?
1: He didn't really have any equally talented peers.
0: No, I mean, I guess Ken was like the champion, wasn't he? But there was never that real sense of rivalry there. Yeah, there
1: was always the sense that the woman was the one pushing Ken around.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm. Anyway, there's one more, and it's a long one, but this uh, this is, you might like this one. So this is We Watch Anything, at We Watch Anything, and they've really gone for it. This is one of their all-time favourite movies, so, and their sequel is called Step Up to the Ballroom. Oh, no, no, it's called Step Up to the Ballroom Baby. Ooh, So, Scott and Fran are now running one of the most prestigious dance schools in all of Australia. They have a son named Raphael, who is a part time instructor at the age of 18. So, I guess history is repeating itself here. Uh, Tara joins the school to get some formal training. But who's Tara? Someone called Tara apparently joins the school to get some formal training. That's Fran. Is it? Oh, Fran? Fran's son?
1: Oh no, Fran's I Franz actress
0: is called Tara. I, I don't I think this might be a new girl called Tara because okay. this I don't know why the son would teach the mother. But anyway, somebody called Tara joins the school to get some formal training, but her classical ballet training shines through and she slowly converts Raphael from Ballroom to Marishnikov. And
1: uh
0: Oh, oh Tara is a character in Step Up. Oh right. Okay, I've not seen yeah. Step Up, fine. Glad you know your dance films. Okay, so Tara <laughs> from Step Up crosses over Joins the school to get some formal training, but her classical ballet training shines through and she slowly converts Raphael from boring to Barishnikov. To his parents' dismay, he runs away to join the ballet, forcing Scott and Fran to realise that they have become their own inflexible parents. And they resolve to become better people, and they enlist the help of a local meth cook and street dancer named TJ. Did this one step up, or is this breaking bad? Or...
1: It's all gone a bit mushy now.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, he teaches them how to get their passion for innovative dance fusion back, and they become the parents he never had. So he stops cooking meth to become a dance teacher... And then Raphael, when Raphael returns home, there is a jealous dance-off and slowly the styles merge, creating a new beast called Bad Boy Ballroom Ballet. So. Mm. Mm. Started well and yeah. went off the boiler. I <laughs> mean,
1: like, you could just watch Step Up instead.
0: Well,
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got one actually oh, from cool. uh, from my friend Paul Kelly, cool. who I'm going to get as a guest on this podcast at some point. Excellent. So Scott has a son um, mm. in, a, in a sequel. And the son goes on a quest to find the tightest dancing trousers that he can find. Okay. But shamefully, he has really big balls <laughs> and so can't fit into any trousers.
0: Okay. It's called Strictly Balls Room. Strictly Balls Room. Oh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Again, that one, the title, the joke is in the title. Because
1: <laughs> like. cool. a lot of films which, you know, are supposed to be funny and don't even, don't even have the joke in the title. Yes. So you're already one up on many comedies. True. You know what you get yeah, with that yeah. one, I think.
0: So. Great, great, great. Anything else?
1: I just thought that I would draw to everybody's attention that there are, in fact, a series of spin-off novels officially sanctioned by the BBC for Strictly. um, By the BBC?
0: Yeah. Oh, for Strictly Come Dancing, not Strictly Boring.
1: Not not Strictly Boring, for Strictly Come Dancing. And... I mean if you like terrible books they are worth a read <laughs> um, one of them, the first one Shimmer, A Strictly Story has aged particularly badly okay. it's about a girl who goes to London to work as a runner uh, in the Strictly production team Okay, mm-hmm. and it's full of absolutely bizarre product placement, really sort of mawkish, melodramatic near death stories and horrible sort of pencil caricatures of uh like it's it's clearly supposed to be identifying some people who were in strictly at the time but then there's also sort of terrible sort of fanfic type insert characters mm-hmm. not that i'm denigrating fanfic <laughs> hey, hey, this you, podcast basically is fanfic you, so you just heard me at <laughs> length explain about my my strictly ballroom fanfic mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's it's kind of terrible. And she falls in love with one of the dancers, but is actually somebody more sensible she should set her sights on. It's, it's a terrible, terrible romance novel. Okay. But one bit in particular has aged particularly badly. I'm excited. Uh, and uh, I'll just do a little dramatic reading if please, that's Please, okay. please do. Welcome to Strictly, he said. You're one of the family now. I smiled back and put the security pass around my neck. I felt like a Jim'll Fix-It guest, <laughs> oh, <laughs> glowing no. with excitement at having been granted my special wish, except instead of a Jimmel Fix-It badge, I had a BBC pass. Same difference as far as I was concerned.
0: Oh dear. That is that is Yeah, you're right, so that not different. age well. Chilling. Chilling. Okay, well... On a lighter note, uh, next week we have another guest, I believe.
1: Conversational handbrake turn. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, so next week. So do you remember my Sixth Sense idea when I just recited my personal diary to you? Who could forget? It was a classic episode. Mm, so one of the, the White Walker characters, uh, Joe, is guesting next week. Oh, good. Um, from Beyond the Grave. From Beyond the Grave, from yes. Beyond the White Wall. Yeah. From Beyond the Wall, Beyond the Grave, he's coming to be on the box set. Cool. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> the film he's bringing is Interstellar. Cool, great! Can't wait. Seen it? I have not. Have you seen it? Yeah. What do you think?
1: As a former gravitational wave scientist, I found its depiction of general relativity thrillingly accurate. Hey!
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you could, could you do a little sequel for us right now? On uh,
1: Spot? Yeah, it's it's actually a prequel, and it's just about the detection of
0: gravitational waves. Because I would be in it. Sounds thrilling. So that would basically be your career. Like uh, yeah. The story for cool. <laughs> cool Uh, well if you have any sequels you'd like to pitch for Strictly Ballroom or Interstellar or any other film we might have done in the past or if you have any films you'd like us to do in the future please get in touch with us we are Beyond the Box Set you can find us at beyondtheboxset.com we're also available on all popular podcast platforms including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast etc all the links on the website you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and uh, yeah so please get in touch if you like what you hear please subscribe and review it helps us to uh, find more listeners and gives us a nice little ego stroke yeah uh, yeah yeah, and we will see you next week for Interstellar. See you next. So, week. thank you, Ellie. Is there anything, Ellie? Is there anything you'd like to plug before we go?
1: Okay, music, music at Listen Outside. Just Google for Listen Outside. A Strictly podcast at the Keep Dancing podcast. Again, just Google for that. And Eurovision content of all kinds at Ellie Made on Twitter. Ellie underscore Made on
0: Twitter. Indeed, or go to ESC Insight.com which both myself and Ellie contribute to. And we recently we recorded a podcast together just this afternoon, which will be hopefully going on the air some some time around the sound this comes out. So
1: in which John tells me his life story.
0: Through, through Eurovision. Through Eurovision. Yeah, which basically is my life story. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing else there. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much guys. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.